Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We'll continue this evening with our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha, dealing with uh, the nature of the Lord's extrinsic energy, his Bahiranga Shakti, the Shakti uh, from which the material manifestation is composed, that Shakti which is of his very nature, but also different from him. So this line of discussion now talks about a very interesting subject matter as far as the Lord having created from himself a universe which appears to be pretty distinct from his spiritual characteristics. So it would be kind of a perplexing thing to approach. How can the Lord create from his very self a place which is full of misery and ignorance and so atypical of what we would consider to be spiritual and enlightening and all the good qualities that we had attribute to one that's spiritual. And we see those qualities in the world of men and the world around us throughout the species of life. But we see the opposite nature also. So we see within the world ignorance and greed and animosity and hatred and mm, jiva jiva sajiva nam one living entity is food for the next the big fish is eaten by a bigger fish is eaten by a bigger fish where's it end so a world of complete misery from one point of view and from another point of view how is that possible so how is the material manifestation coming from the Supreme and not fully displaying any something that is appears to be so much separate from, from spirit, from the godly nature which you would think would permeate everything? If you were God and you were to make your own world, wouldn't it all just be, you know, would it all just be perfect in every way? I'm not observing that in this world, so why is that? Well, there's a lot of ways to answer that. So that's what Jiva Goswami is, is, is he's getting us to think about these things. You could say, well, it's just the way you're looking at things. You're just not looking on the bright side of things. You're not looking on the bright side of life. If you looked on the bright side of life, then you wouldn't see all the misery and pain and wars and pestilence and famine and infocide and oh my gosh, am I really am I really that much of a pessimist or do these things really exist? And there's different schools of thought. Some schools of thought say they don't exist at all. It's all just wonderful except your brain, your mind. So we're kind of discussing that right now, a, a line of, 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 of logical explanation for the world that we experience that takes the world to be an illusion. It really is, you just made it up. You're making it up as you go along. It's a mental construct. So... 
this 71st Anacheta um, is dealing with the manifest and unmanifest states of the universe. And in, it's, it's also a long Anacheta. Srila Jiva Goswami deals with a lot of different points of view. Also in this Anacheta, as he did in the last one. Um, but not quite as long as the last one. So in, in the last discussion, we just began this Anacheta. And I want to go over the high points of what we discussed in the last class. It was very terse. It, it was, you know, very terse. What can you say? It was deep <laughs> philosophy. So let's go over the highlights and then let's see how Jiva Goswami develops those logical points going forward and then how he helps us resolve them according to authorized scripture as opposed to unauthorized logic which can lead to confusion on our part. So some of the highlights of the very first, this particular Anarcheta is broken into four subsections. So in the first part, which we discussed last week, um, I'm just going to read a couple things. We'll discuss that. These are like the highlights. In this way, the this universe, which in its causal state is situated in a subtle potential form as one of you, Paramatma, as one with you, Paramatma, later expands into the visible created world when present in the state of being, in the state of being an effect. So, Jiva Goswami, in kind of concluding, he says, the universe is either manifest or unmanifest. And the words he uses in, in, this time around, instead of manifest and then manifest, he says, it's either in a causal state, it's a cause which hasn't created an effect yet, or it's in an affected state, the state which we experience. So it's either in one of those two states, and it's a, it's a, a potency of, of the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord. Thus, only because of the dissolution, due only to the fact of the world's destruction, is it inferred that this universal creation is a mere appearance in you like silver in an oyster shell, present to awareness only during the interim period of the manifest creation, but without existence before or after. This inference is false. It is not substantiated by any means of valid knowing. Praman. In other words, there are some people that look at the manifestation of the world and they say, well, because it's here today and gone tomorrow... It's an illusion. It's like a mirage. It's like the silver in an oyster shell. It appears to have it, it, the characteristics of silver, but it's not real silver. So the universe is not real because it sometimes is here one day and gone tomorrow. But the proper understanding from our point of view, from the Gaudiya point of view, is actually it's just either manifest or it's in its effective manifestation. We see a universe or it's lying dormant as a potential 
of manifestation in the Supreme Lord. So he's either displaying it or he's not displaying it, but it's fully there and it's fully one of his potencies. Then it goes on, and this is where it was a little terse last time. Jiva Goswami goes on to say, You, no other object, can supply the taste of bliss. So he's talking about the nature of the Supreme Lord. He does have transcendental characteristics, of which the most desirable, of course, is to, to taste his transcendental pleasure. His transcendental pleasure supersedes any experience that you have within the material manifestation. So, that is to say that after experiencing you, if we're so fortunate as to enter deeply into spiritual uh, revelation through whatever means, bona fide means, possible, then we can actually taste something well beyond what is experienced coming through the mind and senses within the material world. It's, it's a step above. It's, it's a deeper, appreciable, spiritual experience. We call it bliss. We don't call drinking a coffee bliss or having a sports car, or whatever. The closest we find in Scripture to the terminology bliss is sexual union is almost bliss. Scripture will say it's, it's, this, it's like the one thing in, my, in the material world, that moment of pleasure, or a few moments of pleasure, that's as close as you're ever going to get to what would be blissfulness in a spiritual sense, but it really isn't. Uh, Swami has an interesting way of saying this. He says, you know, I was once asked about sex life. Is there sex in the spiritual world? And Swami said, yeah, and my response was quite simply, yes, there's sex in the material, in the spiritual world. What you think is sex is not sex at all. It's not, it's, it's not real real union between one living entity and another in total compatibility. It's, uh, you know, so you'd say, well, is there sex in the... No, there's no sex in the material world. That's where there is true sex. But, so, here, it was a little terse. That is to say that after experiencing you, there is no possibility of any other object becoming apparent to consciousness so how can one superimpose another object on you as one might superimpose silver on an inferior object such as an oyster shell basically if 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 you were to have that experience of spiritual revelation then there's nothing there's nothing there's no way that you could be led to a conclusion that what is manifest 
or what is experienced in material life is of any, of any significance in comparison. As we, this is a scripture speaking, again, this is from the 87th chapter of the 10th canto, ourselves have said, those who have fixed their minds just once on you, who are their very own self, the eternal bliss, no longer run after material pleasures which steal away their very essence. So the Anacheta goes on. Again, the effect exists in its cause in an unmanifest form. So now a little, a little deeper into the philosophical aspects of the concepts. The intentions, the intention of the Sakkaryavadis is as follows. Does the pot that is produced by a fashioner of clay exist or not prior to its production? So again, these are logical, logical ideas that are put out there. So, does a pot exist before it's made from the clay? To accept the first proposition would amount to grinding that which has already been ground. If the pot exists in the clay, then what's the use of making a pot out of clay? It's already there. So this is a, it's an interesting analogy, but the point is, when you already ground up something, it's already completely ground up, you're not going to get, at, it's not going to become any more ground up when you just grind it again. So a pot's already there, so that's, that's one way to look at it, producing that which already exists. Well, you said the pot's already in the clay. In regard to the second option, it is impossible for a non-existent object, a sot, to have any relation with existing sot agents and productive action, like the impossibility of grasping a sky flower. This is due to the categorical incompatibility, one being real, the other not. Such being the case, how can a non-existent object ever come into existence? So the second part of it is, does the pot that is produced by a fashioner of clay or not prior to the production? Does the pot produced exist or not? So if it doesn't exist prior to the production. So basically, if, if the pot isn't in the clay in an unmanifest form, Again, these are just logical ways to, to logically conceive of, of these kind of ideas. So if the pot isn't there in an unmanifest form, then it truly doesn't exist. So there's nothing that can bring it into existence by an action. So the potential has to be there. The potential has to be there, and it is there. You have clay and you can mold it into a pot. So Jiva Goswami goes on. Consequently, an object like a pot, before it is produced, is neither existent in manifest form, that we can understand, nor completely non-existence, but exists in the clay itself in an unmanifest state. Jiva's just continuing to pound the post in the fact that 
the universe is either manifest or unmanifest, no matter how you want to look at it. So here's another analogy. If you even take the simple analogy of making a clay pot from clay, there's a few things you have to accept. That the clay is real. And that the potentiality to make a pot exists because the clay has the potential. It, has, it can be molded. It can be shaped. You apply the energy. So it's there in an unmanifest form. But you need what? You need an agent of action. So that's what Jiva's trying to, 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 to push through here. Just as it is, just as it becomes manifest through the combined potency of the agent along with the actions performed by him, so too the universe situated in you, the supreme cause, become manifest by the combination of your intrinsic potency together with the actions affected through such agency. So now, we can make a universe. We can accept the fact that there is potential. The potentiality exists to make a universe. If there's real ingredients, there has to be reality. Now remember, this whole argument is there because there is a class of philosophers who consider themselves transcendentalists, who believe the material world is simply and totally an illusion that comes about through, well, we'll find out where we think it, you know, they what we think they think. But really, when we get right down to it, none of their arguments stand the test of even the simplest of logic. Yet, they propound these as spiritual truth based on logical arguments. They'll sit there and argue till the cows come home about the fact that the universe is simply an illusion. It doesn't really exist because they cannot, through their they just they have not yet developed the fine discrimination to understand that there can be personality behind the supreme spiritual aspect of existence because once we if we don't add personality then that supreme spiritual existence that one would accept underlies everything has to be some is just an undescript energy well an undescript energy without any has has no capacities it's it's it, that's one of its one of the natures of spirit that is is ascribed to it it has no distinction. It ha you can't cut it up. You can't, and we accept these things. But there's a way to accept them where we can we can fully comprehend spiritual reality. 
So once you can comprehend that there has to be some capacity beyond the uniform nature of spirit, beyond the un, un, in, immutable nature of spirit, that it can have spiritual form and personality and qualities and potencies. We've got to, you've, if we can't come to appreciating that the supreme, absolute truth has a personal aspect, then we cannot accept that the supreme, absolute truth can have potencies that are distinct from its very being. If we can't accept that the Supreme has potencies, then we can't explain the material manifestation in a logical way. We can try to explain it away. It's just an illusion. Don't look behind the curtain. There's no one there. It's all one. So that's what we're dealing with here. Jiva Goswami is dealing with trying to provide a comprehensive appreciation that, yes, the supreme absolute truth, Viranti Tat Tatva Vidas Tatvam Yasyanam Advayam, Brahmati Paramatmati Bhagavan Iti Sabjate. That non-dual substance. We agree it's non-dual. There's no duality in that supreme substance the way we see duality here. The way we, when we opened this class this evening, said, my gosh, look at the diversity. Look at the good and the bad and the happy and the sad. You know, it's, it, it can be bewildering. Now we can just try to sweep it under the rug and say, well, it's just an illusion. Actually, it doesn't exist at all. It's, not, it's, an, it's one way to look at it, but there's another way to look at it that makes a lot more sense. And Jiva's going to show us the other way to look at it, and he's going to try to make us see that it makes more sense. We don't have to sweep it under the rug. There can be diversity in the Supreme. There can be what we see in the world. Now, that's where it gets tricky. That's really where it gets tricky for us. Because a lot of what we do see in the world is our mental construct. When we're fully under the potency of the material energy, we are in illusion. But it doesn't mean the material manifestation is an illusion. It means that we do project. And what you see and what I see is not the same thing. You may be hot, I may be cold. You may see black, I may see white. There's so many, so much diversity. Go to a courtroom someday if you want a good, you know, as I said, if you want a good, a good lesson, just go to the courtroom. And you'll have two witnesses up there and they'll both swear on whatever God they believe in 
or the God that they don't even believe in and say, this is what happened. And the two different stories altogether. And believe me, the two people think, unless they're intentionally, intentionally trying to mislead, they actually are speaking from the heart. This is what I experienced. I saw a red truck with a Mexican driver hit the black man in the middle of the road. The next witness will go up, no, no, no. It was a different car. It was a white van that hit the Chinese man (laughs) that had a white driver. And they're both, that's where they were. Maybe Who knows what mind space they were in? Who knows which one was right and which one was wrong? So therefore, in a court of law, you try to find a medium. Is there a medium? And the juror, they're not. The jury is not allowed to be biased. Now, the prosecution and the defense, they're completely biased. They show their bias when they try to pick who's going to be the judges of the case. How do you think about this? What do you feel about that? Can you be unbiased? <laughs> if you can be unbiased, you can sit on the jury. But all they try to do during the whole trial is convince you to their way of thinking. Here, you accept my bias. The guy is guilty as sin. The other guy didn't do anything. So the clay. So accepting that, if we can accept that in a clay pot, in clay there's a potentiality for a pot if the agent utilizes it, then that can go take us some in the right direction to understanding that the material universe can be manifested. It has the potential if an agent exerts the proper action. So now we get to, to those the, the other way of thinking of other spiritualists. In this regard, the disparate notions propounded by those who profess themselves to be advocates of Vedanta Vedanta are indeed contrary to Vedanta. The the idea that the mind itself is a product of the material elements is widely admitted. In their own doctrine, this is also illogical because of the impossibility of the mind, ego, and so on being mere conceptual constructs. If such were the case, it would be contrary to the Vedas and opposed to the conclusion of theism. All right, footnote, and this is where this this idea of the Advaitin concept is fully fully brought out. Advaitavad advocates that the mind is a product of the sattvic portion of the five great elements. In other words, our mind comes from from the when goodness is applied to the ingredients of material nature in a certain arrangement, then we have a mind. So mind is coming from matter. That's their that's their thought. It's coming from good matter though. 
not passionate matter or not ignorant matter. It's coming from the, the, the knowledge aspect of matter, the sattvic, the mode of goodness. But according to the Vivarta Vad, again, Vivarta Vad is what? It's that conception that the world is simply an illusion. The phenomenal world, including the mind, is a mere conceptual construct. All right? In other words, there's only Brahman in, the, in, the, in their conception. All that exists is just Brahman. We accept all that exists as Brahman, but we understand the Lord can, can use his energies. Parashya Saktir Vividavit Suyate. He has unlimited potencies and he can display them in whatever way he wants. And as we go forward in this Anacheta, he's going to himself admit that. That he can display his energies as he sees fit. But those that accept the Vartavad have a problem with that. They can accept that spirit is unchangeable. It can't be it can't be modified in any way. It can't be overtaken by ignorance. So we'll go on here. It's a mere mental construct. That's their idea. This is illogical because conceptual constructs are a product of the mind. Now they've got themselves in a loop. Wait a minute. You just said the world came about by the mental construct. But the mind itself is part of what that was produced by that construct. Well, then how far back are we going to go? Where's that logically going to end? The mind made the mind construct, made the mind made the mind construct. Where do we end in that, in that kind of thinking? So how can the mind itself be a conceptual construct? Then the mind would require another mind of which it would be a conceptual construct and so on ad infidium. This is condemned in the Padma Purana. The Shrutis, Smritis and Logic all avow the supreme personal absolute, Ishvara. No one is lower than one who speaks in opposition to this conclusion. If we're really going to look at this logically, Scripture, and here we're quoting the Padma Purana, says you have to come to a personal conception of the supreme absolute truth. A personal conception is an action, an agent of action. If you want to think that the Supreme Absolute does not have agency, agency denotes personality. If you want to take the personality away from the Supreme Absolute Truth, then there's no agency. And if there's no agency, what started even your idea of a mental... Where'd that come from? So let's play that out a little bit is, is, is really where we are now. 
So for a relation to exist both between two things, both of them have to be real. So now let's go to the core, a core statement of the opposition. The sung, those that are the adwaitants, those that believe it's just an illusion. They actually also provided a commentary to the Vedanta Sutra. The Vedanta Sutra is consolidation of all the knowledge of the Vedas into one simple package. It's called both the Vedanta Sutra and the Brahma Sutra, wherein the essence of spiritual truths are given in aphorisms. Tattvamasi, you are that. Everything is Brahman. Uh, inquire into Brahman. Uh, now, now is the time. Atato Brahma Jignasa. So these are these are aphorisms that we'll find in the Vedanta Sutra. So, on the Vedanta Sutra, a leading advocate for this whole misconception, from our viewpoint, of Sankaracharya is given in Sankar's commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. So there we'll find the following. If this world were real, he writes there, its perception would never be obstructed. In other words, he's looking, if Brahman is the basis of everything, then how could any perception of the world ever be obstructed because everything is perfect and complete because it's the supreme absolute? Since the Sublation of perception cannot be explained in any other way. You could, if everything was Brahman, then everyone would see perfectly. The vision would be perfect. The perception of the world would not be obstructed in any way. We are forced to accept that this inexplicable, inexplicable, Universe is a vavarta of consciousness. Because that's not the case, what's not the case? Vision is obstructed. Not everybody's seeing everything perfectly. In fact, they have divergent angles of vision and divergent philosophies and a divergent way of seeing the world around them. So therefore, the only logical explanation, according to Sankara's commentary, on the aphorisms of the Vedanta Sutra, which is the essence of the Veda, is you can only accept that the material manifestation is of a varta of consciousness, an illusory manifestation of consciousness. Because it can't be real consciousness. So, you like that? Okay. Well, let's see how we come out of that one. This is utterly illogical. The mind is a product of the material elements, yet out of ignorance the mind constructs the universe from which it itself is produced. This explanation has the defect of mutual dependence. Anyo, anyon, yas, raya, dosha. Moreover, whose Ignorance is being spoken of. Who is there to be ignorance if it's all Brahman? 
since Brahman is the only reality, it is Brahman that is both the subject and object of ignorance. But this is absurd. Because Brahman is universally accepted as being pure knowledge in essence, jnana swarup, how can it become the subject of ignorance? Jiva Goswami goes on in the same Anucheda, and now he's going to bring in scriptural reference to fortify his position. Now, if we look at the way Jiva Goswami's dealt with this up to this point, it hasn't been with, uh, what would we say, bang, bang, Maxwell's silver hammer comes down on their head. In other words, he's not brought out the hammer of scripture and said, this is the way it is at all up to this point. He's, he's used logic and reasoning to make his points. He's, he's brought us to this point where we can logically accept the fact that, yeah, the world really can't be an illusion because it comes from what's sought. It, it comes from something real. It has a real purpose. So, because it has a real purpose, then there has to be some validity to its existence. And then he's tied that back to the fact that if we can accept an agency in the Supreme who can apply a purpose even to a, a separated energy of his very self, then then the world starts to make sense. Otherwise, yeah, maybe it is just an illusion. Maybe it is just that we're seeing a rope in the darkness and accepting it as a snake, but if we were to turn the lights on, who? what lights? Who gave you the lights? Wait a minute. Who's seeing the snake? Now, he's going to take it to Scripture, but he's going to do it in a very unique fashion. He's also going to continue to use the logic of Scripture to make his point and show how the Scriptures have been presented in order to allow the fallacies themselves and that those scriptural fallacies, if we trace them back, we find an agent of action. And it's the same agent of action who's manifested the material universe. So it's, let's see how he does that. The idea, the conclusion that the world is an illusion is not the conclusion of the scriptures. So first he quotes Bhagavad Gita. According to the view of Bhagavad Gita, those who deny the existence of Ishwara speak as follows. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks as if, as if, how, how would you speak if you accepted this philosophy of illusion being the background of material existence? He does so in the 16th chapter, in the 8th verse. He says, they claim, meaning the Vivarta bodies, they claim that this world is untrue, a satya. 
that is without any foundation. A, a pratista, devoid of God or a personal conscious source. Anishwara, that it is brought forth perpetually, aparaspara sambhuta, and moreover, that it is caused by desire alone. Kama haituka. Asacha apratistamte jagat adhor anishvaram aparaspara sambhutam kim anyat karma haitukam. So that's the verse from the Bhagavad Gita. They claim this world is false, that it comes about, and that its ultimate cause is lust alone, kama. Kama haituka. Then Jiva goes on to give his explanation of this verse from the Bhagavad Gita. The adjective untrue means false or illusory, since the world cannot be described as real or unreal. That the world is without foundation means that it is without any purpose because the notion of God superimposed on Brahman is a mere conceptual construct manufactured out of ignorance. Like mistaking a post for a man, there is no such person in the world identifiable as God. Hence, the world is devoid of God. That is the world that the world is brought forth perpetually means that it arises out of a beginningless succession of ignorance. The word aparaspara signifies the continu continuity of all actions. Therefore, the world is born merely out of desire, kama, haituka, and in this, or in the other, or in other words, out of mental resolve, manasankalpa. The meaning is that it is like a dream object. Everything we've discussed. Krishna's just packed into this one little verse. Hasn't he? All of it. This is the way they think. All the arguments. We can, we can read this verse. We can, we can learn the verse. And all the philosophy that Jiva's unpacked and used as the basis upon which he's taken us to this point in his presentation is summed up here so nicely by Krishna himself in his discussion with Arjuna. This is the way they think. It's all right there. But Jiva didn't take us there. He didn't bring out Krishna's verse in the beginning. He didn't start with that and say, okay, case closed, let's move on. For a devotee, that would be fine. We would say, yes, that's fine. This is the way that the spiritual master introduces these. And now, how much, how much more? By, by Jiva Goswami's approach, how much more are you, as a student, attracted to Krishna's words? Let me learn this verse. I can learn this verse. I can remember everything that Jiva had to say. I can remember the whole, all the last few Anuchetas are like crystal clear 
if I can just remember these words the way Krishna spoke them, all the philosophy now has has changed from just Krishna's simple saying, this is the way the atheistic mind works. This is the way the illusionists think the world is. Now now it's it's not just gyan, oh let me matter, let me learn a verse and repeat what Krishna says. Now it's it's vigyan. It's it's realized knowledge. It's knowledge which really carries some import for us to let us enter deeply into these simple all right, so we will take off from this point and Jiva Goswami will continue to develop and reinforce these ideas that he's planted all with the understanding of what actually is going on from the viewpoint of scripture including the fact that Krishna's arranged all this including the arguments and the presenter of the arguments the advent of Sankaracharya. Any questions? Yes, sir. I've heard, I recently, I don't know how recent it was, but I heard a, a self-proclaimed Advaita teacher, probably less radical, make the distinction between the earth and the world. And, you know, referring to the world as being solely that which is um, being superimposed upon the earth labels, categorizations and names, so yeah. And that Maya is simply the identification with the gunas from Prakriti as being one's absolute reality, that you are a physical being that was born uh, on this planet and that's all that you are, with no awareness of spiritual reality. So would that be more in alignment with what Jiva is putting forth here? And that you could say that then the energies which manifest the earth, the material energies, are energies of Krishna, of course. That wasn't a question, I just thought it was relevant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we have to, it's a matter of, a matter of viewpoint. If we can get the proper perspective, accepting or not accepting, what is the absolute manifestation of the spiritual reality? However we look, as we, as we quoted, Vedanti tat tat vavidas, tatvamyajyanam advayam, that non-dual absolute, however you want to look upon that, whether from the viewpoint of uniformity, brahmati, everything's brahman, no personality, just uniform spiritual substance, that's the absolute reality, or just the reality of a creator, paramatmati, that there is, there is the absolute manifestation of energy, but there is some consciousness behind what brings about a, the universal manifestation. So that's the Paramatma aspect. So however you may look as a transcendentalist, Brahmati, Paramatmati, or if you want to go one step further, Bhagavaniti Subjate, a personality that supersedes everything in his creation in absolute fullness. Bhagavan. Bhaga. Bhaga means qualities. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, renunciation. If you take all those in their most condensed possibility, 
and put them into the and and see that those are the attributes of the supreme then that's another way to look at spirit it's just a matter of 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 realization but we 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 have to whoever the, the you know the person you were speaking of having the proper viewpoint of the world and understanding that yes primarily what we experience in the world is coming about by we're projecting ourselves on the world around us and wanting everybody to live inside our mind conforming everybody to what we think is the ideal and spiritual life well spiritual life is ego effacing i need to throw that ego away and doesn't matter what we embrace as far as our concept of spirituality but embracing a concept of myself that leads to the involvement in this world that causes all the pain and suffering that I see within material manifestation. If I stay in there and I continue to play around with likes and dislikes, and then I'm just going to be tangled up. It's not going to end for me. Swami says attachment is womb from which I'll stop this form. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> All right, I thank you so much for your association.